I love my church. I love my church. One of the things that I hope and actually pray about is what it would look like if we as believers really came alongside of our friends and told them where our hope comes from. Why our faith makes a difference in our life. Why do we go to church? Why um, is Jesus central to our life? Um, if we did that, our communities could be changed dramatically. Families could be changed. Schools could be changed. Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, what a blessed morning it's been so far, and uh, just so thankful for all God allows us to be a part of and being part of his church, and uh, I want to thank Becky and Milo for that wonderful song, and uh, just amazing how God has blessed Milo with a talent, and it's great to see people use their talents for the glory of God, amen, and uh, Milo's always been a big encouragement to me, Becky as well. Uh, but I've known Milo for many years, uh, just being at the church here, and uh, what a blessing that was. Amen. Thank you, brother, for that. Uh, this morning, we are finishing up our I Love My Church series, and I know what you're thinking. We can't be done already, but it's okay, because you can continue to love your church and even wear the t-shirts as you finish up the series with me next week, next month, into the next year. Uh, it's about coming together as the body of Christ and sharing our love for the church and our love for one another. So this morning as we're finishing up our series, I Love My Church, over the last four weeks, this is our fifth week, over the last four weeks we've covered tons of ground. And we've discovered that over all of those things, that when we love one another, as Christ has called us to love one another, that will be the evidence that Christ was sent into the world. He said that when my disciples love one another, the world will be able to look at that and say, man, it's so obvious that Christ really did come and that Christ really loves us. We've said it before almost every week, and we'll say it again. One of the biggest distractions to the gospel can be the church. One of the biggest distractions to the gospel can be the church. And here's what I mean. I don't mean just North Goodland. I don't just mean Baptist. I don't just mean a certain denomination. I mean church as a whole. Because you know one of the things that churches fall into? Division. Disunity. Infighting. Gossip. All these things that will just become a cancer in a church that will kill the church. Now, it won't destroy what God is doing in the church but it will and can destroy that local church, meaning people will begin to leave, fighting. It's more about what I want than what the Lord wants. Uh, I've talked to somebody recently in the last couple weeks, and they said, you know, what's funny is I truly believe, and I'll pick on Baptists because that's what I've been since I've been saved. I've only been really familiar with the Baptist church. This woman said, you know, I really believe that Baptists divide, or rather, Baptists grow by division. You know what I mean by that is this church down the road splits, and so what do people in that church do? They go to some other Baptist churches, and those churches grow. And then the pastors and the leadership of those churches go, oh, look what we're doing to reach the people for Christ. Now, I'm not against people transitioning from church to church if they truly believe this church that I'm in currently is either A, not preaching the Word of God, not teaching the Word of God, not talking about preferences, talking about the biblical doctrines. They are refusing to follow the biblical guidelines for the church, meaning they're just kind of doing their own thing. There's no biblical structure. 
and all these things that can go on in church that are biblical issues. If you have where you were or where you've been, if you went up and you said to the leadership, listen, I want to use my spiritual gifts and talents to affect positive change in the church. What can I do to serve the church? How can I help this to stop? And how can I help this to not happen anymore? And it really seems like we're preaching this, but the Bible says that. And we do all of this in love, right? I heard one speaker say when, when a question was asked at a Q&A, they said, I really feel like my pastor's kind of going sideways. He's preaching things that I don't know that I agree with. And I don't know what to do as a member of the church. How do I stop that? Do I just go to the pastor and ask him? Do I just talk to him about it? What do I do? And this speaker, this author, said something so profound, and I loved what he said. He said, well, first let me ask you a question. What's your platform with your pastor to this point? What he meant is, has what you've said to your pastor to this point been nothing but negative criticism of everything he's done? If that's so, then when you come with one more critical thing, guess what he's not going to do? He's not going to listen. Because it's just one more critical thing. Then he asked this question, how are you already serving the church with your gifts and talents? to show that you're passionate about the church, not just what you want. He said, if you're, not, if you're not going to your pastor, encouraging, loving, supporting him, not saying you're okay with whatever's wrong, but I'm just saying you're, there's a history there of loving and supporting your pastor, and you're not serving the church with your gifts, times, and talents, then how do you think you'll have a platform to go talk to him about something you don't like you see in the church? And it's so profound. I was like, Wow. And then another question came in. Do I just leave because I don't like this? Why would you just assume leaving is what the first thing should be? Maybe, I don't know, maybe what we should do is say, Lord, you maybe you've put me here for a purpose. Maybe I've been gifted in a way to help encourage this church to get back on track biblically. But let's be real. There are some in this room that did all of those things. You did all those things. And I'm not saying you were perfect, but you did all those things. You prayed about it. You served the church already. You went to the pastor and encouraged them. You tried to be understanding. You weren't preference-based. It was more biblical issues. And you tried and you tried. And some of you, years, we're talking 10, 15 years of trying to make it work. And you hit a point where you realize, you know what, God, it's, it's just not healthy for me to be here anymore, spiritually speaking. I've done all that I can do, and I just I have to move on. That's totally different than just, well, did you hear the song they did this morning? That wasn't really my style, so I think I'm just going to look somewhere else. Now, you might say, that's really mean, because what if somebody doesn't like a song? I'm being overly dramatic, overly sarcastic to prove a point. One, biblically having issues. I've prayed about this. I've sought the Lord over this. I've spent time working and praying with the staff and the leadership, trying to see things change. I've had conversations. Versus... I don't like one thing they did in a preference-based thing, and so I'm leaving because I'll find another church that'll do what I want. Do you see the difference in those two ends? One is, God, I want to be where you want me to be. One is, I want what I want. Holy Spirit-driven, consumer-driven. I've always said this. What if there was only one church in MLA City? What if there was only one church? And you couldn't just leave when things got tough. You couldn't just leave when things got, there was conflict in the church. You had to actually stay and figure out by God's grace and his infilling of the Holy Spirit how to make this thing work. And I truly believe, as much as I love seeing biblically-based churches open, I will, every time a church is open, I will praise God if they're preaching the gospel. I can disagree with other doctrines. I can disagree with other things they do, methods, whatever. But if they are preaching Christ, then I will praise God for that. 
I'd rather see 10 churches open than one church close. But there's sometimes I wonder, Lord, maybe we just have in the United States of America, in the areas where there's dense populations, maybe we just have too many churches. But here's the thing. Do you know there's places in the United States that don't have one Bible preaching church? How about inner city Detroit, inner city Flint, inner city Saginaw? You know those places that all of us want people to come to know Christ, but none of us really go to or would even consider going to? And when we become a follower of Christ, David Platt said it so well in a video I just saw last night. He said, when we become a follower of Christ, we lay our safety at the altar of sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying everyone here is called to go to inner city mission. That's not what I'm saying. My point is, we have to be willing to say, my life is not about safety and security and comfort and convenience. It's about serving Christ where he's called me. And so sometimes I think, oh, well, there's so many churches, we must be doing what God has called us to do. I don't know if that's true. So I want to make sure we're clear on this. I'm not saying we never leave a church that we disagree with biblically. What I am saying is it better be a decision we spend a lot of time in prayer over. And now that you are here, and now that you're with our church, we would love for you to partner with us, not just by attending, but by joining, by fellowshipping together, by coming into ministry together, so that we can reach this, king, this world for the kingdom of God. So we can make disciples and make a difference in this world. We are passionate. It is more than a t-shirt for us. Man, we want to love our church. And you might say, well, what about the church? I love the church. We said this week one. I am not saying North Goodland is better than any other church. In fact, I know we're not perfect. So how do you know that? Is so-and-so doing something? Is somebody doing something? I'm an imperfect person myself. So if the pastor's imperfect, I know the church isn't perfect. It's not like I love my church because my church is better than every other church in Lapeer County. All 74, 76 of them. Lapeer County, somewhere around 76 evangelical churches, Lapeer County. Last time I knew, in 2014, something like that, there was 89,000 people in Lapeer County. I'm sure it's grown up and down over the last couple of years. 76 churches, roughly, let's say 90,000 people, roughly, in Lapeer County. Do you know what the average church size is in Lapeer County? Anywhere between 95 to like 125. That's the average. Do you know what that means? There is a ton of people not being reached with the gospel of Christ. And so I'm not saying our church is better than the church because I know we all, every church has their issues. What I'm saying is we love the church, but this is the church we get to be a part of, the local church. So I love my local church by, what did we say the last couple weeks? Serving, right? Serving with my gifts, giving of my finances, my time, my talents. Serving the body of Christ, being the church. I truly believe that another way we can love our church is through sharing. And through sharing. You might ask sharing as in being generous or giving. Sharing my time. While those things are important for the church, we are kind of covered those over the last two weeks. This morning I want us to realize that once we are connected to the Father through Christ and connected to the church we must desire to go out and share the gospel of Christ with those in our communities. This is something that scares most of us because we are afraid of rejection. It is almost most of us, we want to see it happen. We all want to see people come to Christ, but we believe that someone else will do it. So either I'm really scared and I'm afraid of rejection, I don't want to say something because they're going to shoot me down. 
Or you know what, I know it needs to happen, but somebody else will do it. Somebody else that's better gifted in that area will do it. We spent four weeks unpacking the idea of evangelism in our Awkward series back in May of this year. So I'm not going to cover everything that we talked about in the Awkward series and all that we talked about in that, in that sermon message series. But I believe our church will grow, should grow, not numerically necessarily, but spiritually. And our love for our church will grow when we're actively sharing our faith with those around us. And I don't believe it's a coincidence. I think it's, I think it's tied together. I think it's connected. I want to see how we as a church have a specific purpose in the world. So we're going to kind of transition to this idea in Matthew chapter 5. You're you're there with me. Look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. The ladies' uh, retreats, I believe you guys went through the Beatitudes, covered that. What an amazing beginning to what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And he continues on teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much good content. It is amazing what Jesus covers here. Uh, So many different topics that he touches on and gives such clarity to. And if you can read the Sermon on the Mount, which actually starts in 5.1, ends at the chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, if you can read that Sermon on the Mount and not feel convicted, um, I would encourage you to pray about that. Because there's things in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm like, wow, that one got me. He starts talking about anger and all these things, and why do we give? Why do we give gifts to the church so that we can be praised? Or is it maybe because we just want to honor God as he has blessed us? He covers so many things about motives and mindsets and the why. But I want to look at verse 13 through 16. Because I truly believe that if I love my church through sharing, we will fulfill our purpose in this world. Look at verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt shall have lost its uh, savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He goes on, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless your word as we've read it publicly this morning. We believe that your word will not return void. That you said that when your word is given and preached that you, by the working of your Holy Spirit, will use it to convict the world of sin and righteousness. You will use it to open our hearts and minds. You you say in the book of Hebrews that that you are like a surgeon, and you can cut us open to the very core of us, exposing all the motives, all the things that are going on under the surface. But Lord, also I believe that you don't only cut us open, but you bring the healing we need once we repent of those things. That you apply that healing balm, which is, I believe, the work of your Holy Spirit. So not only do you expose all these things that we need to deal with in our lives, you also heal those very things in our lives when we surrender them to you. And so, Lord, this morning as we go through this message, I pray that if nothing else, if if we get nothing else out of this this morning than just that we have a specific purpose in this world, that you've called us to something, and it's calling us to share. Lord, I pray that we'd share openly and freely without fear of rejection because, Lord, we know that when somebody rejects us, they're not really rejecting us. Some in this room think if I could just say it better or do it better or or do this better, and we think it's this equation, this formula, and it's so much simpler than that. It's just love God with all of us. Love our neighbor as ourself. Study to show yourself approved unto God, knowing the word of God. 
not to impress people with some theological knowledge, but to apply wisdom to our practical lives. To be a James 2 kind of follower where we don't just say, I'm praying for you, but we actually get down on our hands and knees and we serve them so that then through that we can preach the gospel. And so Lord, I pray that we would understand that no matter where we are today, some in this room have made some horrible decisions in the last week, day, month, year. Sinful decisions. Things that are now they're reaping the consequence of maybe in relationships, maybe personally, maybe emotionally, maybe financially. I, I don't know, Lord, but they've made some decisions and they've sinned in some way against you. And, and I, now they're feeling that guilt of that sin. I pray that they would realize that if they would just repent of those things and give them to you. Yes, Lord, we still walk through the season of consequence, but we walk through it with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand that when we surrender these things to you, we don't, we're not useless to you for the rest of our life. Just because we sinned in some way, Lord, I pray that we'd realize that we are usable to you if we would repent and surrender. May we be vessels of honor in the master's hands. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is teaching in his Sermon on the Mount and uses two very simple and easy to understand illustrations that represent our call as followers. Again, like so much in the Sermon on the Mount, these are not going to be things that we do to merit salvation. These are things that flow out of our salvation. Some people read the Beatitudes and we're like, man, I need to be all these things to to be in Christ, to know Christ. No, no, no. I truly believe that as a follower of Christ, these are the things that should naturally or maybe supernaturally flow out of us. These are the things that represent Christ in us. They don't merit salvation for us as though a checklist of things to do. It's saying, as a follower of Christ, this is the encouragement to think on these things, to live in this way. Because believe it or not, no matter how long you've been saved, if you have this fleshy stuff all over you, this skinny, fleshy stuff, right, you're still tempted to sin. You're still lured into temptation, and you may give in to temptation, and so it's this constant battle that I'm telling myself and I'm, I'm warring in, in my spirit and I'm crying out to God and saying, I want to be filled with the spirit of God so that I might dwell in the things of God. I'm going to abide in the words of Christ and he abides in me and I in him and that I would have victory over the flesh. What does Paul say in Galatians? Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's the inverse of that? If I don't walk in the spirit, what's possible I'm going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have choices to make every single day. And here, here we're not talking about, hey, if you're not doing these things, you're not a Christian. It's saying, as a follower of Christ, do you even understand your purpose, your design? And I will say this at the onset. If you're sitting there, and as I'm preaching through this message today, and you're like, I have zero desire to be salt. I have zero desire to be light. And we'll unpack what that means in just a minute. I don't have any desire to serve Christ. I got saved when I was a I was terrified of going to hell, and I just raised my hand. I had no idea what I was doing. And as of right now, I don't have any desire to know God, to know his word. I just, I'm just going through the motions. Then let me, as Paul said to the Philippians, may you work out your own salvation between you and God with fear and trembling. And just because, listen, hear me now. Just saying a prayer doesn't necessarily save someone. Now, what does Paul say? I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe in my heart. So there is a confession. There is a prayer sense to that. But it has to be backed by what? A heart desire. 
an idea of, Lord, I'm, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you're the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you gave all for me. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that I need to repent of my sins, whatever those sins may be, where you are in your life. I realize that's wrong. I need you. And it's that kind of a cry from our heart that then put with words in prayer is a conversion of the soul. And so it's not just about joining a church or getting baptized or reading the Bible. It's about if I personally repented of my sins and trusted in Christ. And if you're sitting there today and you're like, I don't have any desire to serve, zero desire to be what God wants me to be, I could care less. I'm just being honest, Pastor. And we'd never say this in church, right? Nobody in church would be like, that's me. Because we're in church and we know, nope, I got to be prim and proper and amen and yes and hallelujah and all, you know, we just fall into the motion. Man, if you're here today and you are at all unsure of your salvation, when we end the service today, there are going to be some people up front here that would love to pray with you, to answer questions you might have about how you can know that you're saved. Because listen, I'm telling you, Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. And as a pastor, that terrifies me. And it crushes me because I realize there's people that have sat in service after service in churches just like ours in places just like this and have nodded and agreed and walked out of here and walked right out into an eternity in hell because they never knew him. They knew a religion. They knew a system of doing. They knew obligation. They knew guilt. They knew shame. But they never knew salvation. And so this morning, it's about understanding as a follower of Christ, what's my hunger? What's my desire? And even though I have the desire in Christ, there's going to be things that battle against that. And I've got a war against those things. So what are we called to share as we understand this call in our lives? We are called to share our faith, period. We are called to share our faith. First and foremost, what does he say in verse 13? We're called to share our faith as what? As salt. Salt has many purposes. And I know some of you have heard this before, but can you do me a favor? Can you hear it like it's the first time? Can we just stop and say, God, I don't want to just sit here and think I know all this. I need you to speak to me. Arrogance, I truly believe, is one of the first steps towards apathy as a follower of Christ. Arrogance is the first step, or one of the first steps, to apathy in Christ. The minute I think I've got it all figured out is the minute I start slipping into not doing anything for him. Man, what does Paul say at the end of his life? Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, he says at the end of his life, I just want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the sufferings of his death. At the end of Paul's life, he says, if I could just know him a little more. Talk about a guy that was the opposite of arrogant, but could have been. Paul could have been the most arrogant Christian. He received direct revelation from God. Thirteen epistles written by the hands of the Apostle Paul. And he says, after all of that, I just want to know you more. So how can I stand with just a handful of years of salvation because I went to a Bible college and I've got a piece of paper on the wall that some would tell you that theirs is better because their paper is bigger. I'm not going to name names, but Greg has told me that, that his is better. (laughs) See, I I think it's the actual paper you said, or is it the frame? I, I don't remember. One of the things, he said, well, my degree, you know. But then I told him it's from Liberty, so it's half as good right there. So it's just, it's what it is, you know. We've got some Liberty grads in the building, just gonna throw that out there. None of that makes me stand before you and go, "Uh, now listen, I know it all. Do you know one thing I'm learning the more and more? That, man, there's nothing better than just spending time studying his word 
And it's not about just going, oh, that's a cool factor. Oh, that's a neat little thing. And oh, that's interesting trivia. And it's about how can I know the author of this book more today than I did yesterday? And not because I want to be more saved, but because I just love this Savior so much. I need to know him. And if I get to a point where I'm like, oh, I've read that passage a hundred times. I'm good. I told our men's group on Thursday night, we're doing a study by Ravi Zacharias. And I said, do not sit here and think for a second that you all, I know where he's going. I told him when I sit with other pastors and I hear other pastors preach at pastor gatherings, I am so bad at trying to figure out what they're going to say before they say it. You're like, what are you talking about? I went to Matthew chapter 5, right? Most pastors say where they're going to go, give you an introduction, then get there. Usually what I'm doing when I'm sitting in an audience like this and a pastor says, go to Matthew chapter 5, you can ask Sandra. I'm sitting there like, I bet he's going to go to this or he's going to talk about this. He's probably going to do this. And then I'll be like, well, I would have done it differently. I'm not, you guys think, wow, I'm being honest. This is my natural tendency as a pastor. Like, oh, I would have totally went different with verse 4. I mean, come on, obviously. You know what? It wasn't until a few years ago the, the Holy Spirit was like, who, who are you? Like, who are you? What, what level have you reached that you think you can dictate to this pastor what he should and shouldn't be preaching from that passage? As I've led him to prepare a message for you. And it was so freeing when I finally said, I'm going to stop trying to figure out where they're going to go and I'm just going to listen. And you know the blessing that comes in just listening and then applying what you hear? What does James say about that? Don't just be what? Hearers of the word, but be doers. Those that hear, what do they do? They end up deceiving them Selves. This is the part of today in church today that I find so common. There is so much great biblical preaching so available to you today. YouTube, TV, everywhere. There's, great, there's really not great biblical preaching, but there's some really solid biblical preaching, and it's being preached, and people are sitting and going, uh-huh, uh-huh, wow, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're hearing it, but they're not doing it. But they walk out of church services go, oh, I'm a pretty good Christian because I heard some really challenging message this morning. I heard really hard preaching this morning. Man, I'm walking with Jesus. We don't do anything of what we heard, but we heard something, and that somehow gives us this false sense of spirituality. You know what you're doing? You're deceiving your own self. And isn't that the worst kind of deception? Man, it's bad enough when somebody deceives you. We were watching an I Love Lucy last night, okay? I know you're like, what? There's not anything on TV anymore, I swear. Anyway, We've got to go back like 40 years to find something good to watch. But anyway, we were watching I Love Lucy, and it was a salesman episode or whatever. And he's throwing dirt on the floor, and he's trying to talk her into buying this vacuum cleaner. Guy's a genius the way he did it. And she ended up buying it off of him like he, she was doing him a favor, favor. And I was watching it, and I was like, okay, that's one thing to be deceived by someone. But it's so much more worse to be deceived by yourself and think you're doing good. You're really just slacking and falling behind. So as we read this today, man, I want you to hear the words of Christ and say, man, is, is this me? Salt has many, many purposes. Many purposes. It was used as a preservative. It's a seasoning, right? Aren't you glad salt's a seasoning? Raise your hand if you're glad you can put salt on stuff. Anybody have a situation where you go to a restaurant and you pay good money for food, right? I'm not talking like $3.95 at McDonald's. I'm talking like, say like, $17, $18 for this beautiful meal. You sit down, and you're just ready to dig in. Oh, it looks so good. All oh, the seasoning looks good. And you're sitting with somebody who just doesn't even take a bite. Reaches over, grabs the salt. Doesn't that just a little, especially if you're paying for a meal, aren't you like, 
I could have got you like French fries. You'd have been fine. Like, what? you don't even know what you're eating right now. Like, just coat it in salt. Okay. But man, salt is good. It, it actually is a good seasoning, right? I know some. It's a little much. You know, the sodium or whatever. I'm a potato chip freak. Like, that's my thing. You can keep your cake and your ice cream and all that. No, 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 no. You want a snack? Like watching a ball game, you want a snack, you get a big old bag of chips. That's, that's a snack right there, i tell you what. You can keep your ice cream. I'm good. I'll just take some brownies and chips. That's about, I don't mix them because that would be Doritos and brownies, not good. But when you think about that idea, salt can be good. It's also a cleaning agent, right? It can disinfect. Now, what happens if you have a wound and you put a little salt in there? What happens? What does it feel like? Ugh, stings, right? In fact, people will say, when somebody says something to you that's stinging verbally, what do they say? Hey, way to put some salt in the wound. So it stings when it first comes in contact with it, but, but isn't that a good sting in a way? Man, it's cleansing. It's cleaning it. Do you know how crazy this is? What happens when you're walking with Christ and living in Christ uh, abiding, and you're, just, you're all about him, and you're memorizing his word, and you're, you're living like Jesus would, not perfectly but faithfully, and you come across someone that's in sin, unrepentant, whether a believer or non-believer, and you begin to just show them the love of Christ, and they begin to kind of pull back from you. And they'll almost get defensive. Do you know why? Because you're stinging their wound. You're trying to cleanse that wound with the word of God, and they, they know they need it, but they don't want it. And they're not willing to go through the pain of cleansing to find freedom from that thing. Isn't that an amazing blessing that we get to be kind of a cleaning agent in this world? to help others come to know Christ, to help them see their wounds. But also, when I eat my big old bag of chips, guess what happens? I get thirsty. I love what one author said. Our character for Christ, our Christ-likeness, if you will, should make people thirsty for the living water. But isn't that a good point? Our Christ-likeness should make people thirsty for the living, eternal water. Salt was also a very valuable commodity, very valuable commodity in the days when Christ said this illustration. Uh, in fact, slaves or even soldiers would have part of their salary, part of their pay would be in salt. So they would be paid partially with money or things like that and partially in salt because it was such a high commodity. This is where the saying comes from, he's not worth his salt. That's why people say that, he's not worth his salt, he's not worth his pay. He's not worth his, his, what he's earned isn't worth enough. Jesus tells his disciples that they are the salt of the earth. They are important, and how they live their lives as disciples matter. We spent a little bit of time on this in Luke 14 on Sunday night a couple weeks ago. Luke 14, Jesus uses the same analogy about salt, and it's losing its savor or its saltiness. Uh, the reason that would happen in Jesus' day is pure salt, what we have today, uh, does not lose its saltiness. Okay? It doesn't lose that. But in Jesus' day, they didn't have pure salt as we would. They had bad salt. So it would lose that saltiness over time. Once it lost it, it was good for nothing, Jesus says. In fact, even in Luke 14, Jesus says this. He says, it's not good to put in the field because it'll mess up the ground. It'll mess up the field. Right? So salt is good, but if it loses that saltiness, it's not good for the field. It'll mess up the soil. Then he says this, it's not even good for the manure pile. Because manure is good. It fertilizes. It grow, helps us grow vegetables. If you put bad salt in there, it's going to affect the manure, which affects the field. It's good for nothing. So here's the idea. If you, as we'll talk about in a minute, were bad salt, 
and you were standing in a manure pile, Jesus would say, can you get out of my manure pile? You're messing it up. That's what he would say. He says, this stuff is good. It has a purpose. But if you, if you lose your purpose, he says, not Pastor John's, he says, you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing. How does one lose his saltiness? How does one lose that savor? This is a reference to how we live for Christ, not our salvation. This is not saying that we lose the grace of salvation, because we know based on other scriptures, the weight of scripture teaches that once we are in Christ, we are sealed into the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that. But this is a reference to how we live our lives for Christ as disciples. Remember, he's speaking specifically to his disciples in Luke 14, as well as I believe in Matthew chapter 5. When we ignore our call and forget our purpose, we are sidelined to the plan of God because we have taken ourselves out of the race. We have made ourselves, if you will, useless. Now, what does that look like in church today? Because this doesn't get talked about in church a lot. A lot of churches are more about just getting people in the building, right? Just get them in, sit them down, make the church full, look good, all this kind of stuff. Can I give you a little illustration? I brought some, some things with me. Hang on a second here. Okay, so, little illustration, okay? Okay, so, I'm going to use this too. If I make a mess, who vacuums up here? Where's Ray? Sorry, okay, sorry. Okay, so, so here's what I want to do. A little illustration. We're going to pretend this is good salt, okay? This is good salt. So we're going to, I'm already making a mess. Look at this. Okay, so this is good salt. Mmm, good salt, Okay. Lance, I'll give you a dollar if you come lick this. Just kidding. Okay. So this represents good salt, okay? This is those that are following Christ actively. They know Christ. They're passionate. They're desiring to serve him. They're not perfect, okay? But they're faithfully following Christ. Good salt, okay? And in church today, what we tend to do, in most churches in America today, is we want this, but we know this takes work. Right? This takes effort and purpose. This takes telling people in a loving and gracious way, hey, that's not good for you. You need to walk away from that sin. You need to repent of that sin. You're living in a way that dishonors Christ. Let me help you out of that. Galatians chapter 6. But that's not common today. See, in church today, what we do is this is the bad salt. Okay? So good salt here, bad salt here. This is Christians that have ignored their call. They're still Christians, but they're not living for Christ. They're in church, but they're not living for Christ. And what we do in church today is we just pour on the bad salt. Mm, look at that. Okay? So we pour it up. Let me ask you a question. Is this good for anything? This pile I just poured, is this good for anything? If it's bad salt now covering the good salt, is that good for anything? We say no, because God would say, you just made that useless. Because here's what happened. Guess what? Those few that were good salt, the longer they're connected with the bad salt, what might happen to the good salt? It loses its saltiness, right? Here's the thing, though. We think this is great. In church today, we think this is awesome. You know why? Because, hey, look how big my pile is. And look how big my pile is. My pile's way bigger than their pile down the road. Look how great my church is. Oh, man, but we've got a big pile. Look at, all the, look at all the people we got. We're doing great things. Look at all these people. God says, it's useless. Now, not meaning loss of salvation, useless in what way? Man, I have a global plan and purpose, and I was going to use that church, my church, to do that, and now I have to use someone else because you've made yourself useless. You've taken yourself out of it. 
Do you see what Jesus was saying here? And isn't this hard to hear? Because I know me, there's sometimes, man, I forgot. I ignored. I thought I knew everything and I got apathetic. And he says, you're bad salt. You're not doing what you're called to do. And in fact, you're so happy about being bad salt, you're pulling good salt down with you. This is why when you try to live for Christ in an on-fire kind of way, people will say things like, oh, come on now. Oh, that'll die down. That'll wear off. People have told Christians this. Don't be so passionate about Jesus. Come on now. You just got to know it's how it is. And so what we've done is we've buried the good salt. And we think we're doing so good. Look at my pile. And Jesus' heart's breaking because he's realizing, man, not only are you deceived, you deceived yourself. So I'm going to set this down over here and pray that it doesn't spill. So look what he goes on to say there in Matthew chapter 5. He doesn't just talk about salt. He moves on. He talks about light. He says in chapter 5 and verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Light is often associated with God in the Bible. Even in the Old Testament, they connected light with the Father. Here, Jesus' point, as with salt, is that a lamp in a home is there to serve a very distinct purpose. The purpose is to give off light in the darkness. No one would light a candle and then hide it under something that's solid enough that it can't be seen, that doesn't make any sense. It would just be better to not have lit the candle at all, right? Jesus is saying, why would you light a candle and then hide it? That doesn't make any sense. Do you know what Jesus says in Luke? We referenced this on Sunday nights. He gives an illustration about a builder who sat down and counted the cost before he began building. And about a king who said, we're going to war and I want to make sure that all of this is figured out long in advance because we've got 10,000, they've got 20,000, and we're probably going to lose, humanly speaking. So we've got to sit back and strategize. Before we ever get to battle, we've got to know what we're getting into here. Do you know what his point was? As a follower of Christ, when you receive Christ, there should be a time that you sit down and say, man, I need to count the cost. Because here's the thing. So many Christians start off on fire, doing all this, and they get about halfway, and then they kind of back out. Well, you know, life just got busy, Pastor. Life just got tough. Things came up, situations. I didn't anticipate this or that. Jesus' point is, it's almost better you didn't even start. Because guess what? Now the builder looks foolish. What has God ever started and not finished? Nothing. He's always finished everything he started. You know what Philippians 1.6 says? Be confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will complete it. Jesus is not just the author of our faith in Hebrews. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's saying, you better count the cost. Because what God doesn't need is an apathetic Christian who gets halfway. It didn't work out like he wanted, so he says, I'm done. Now again, you might say, well, wait a minute. Are they really saved? Were they really saved? I look at it this way. If somebody's truly in Christ, they can hit a point in their life where they, will, they can backslide if you are or walk away from their call. But I don't believe that can be done without conviction by the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it can be done without a brokenness and a contriteness in their heart. 
and only they know that. But I do believe that if somebody can, again, say they're saved, but then ignore God, live their life as they want, not have a desire for the things of God or his word, and just totally focus on self and self-promotion for a long period of time in life with no conviction, I wouldn't say they lost their salvation. I would wonder, did you really ever have it? And I know some people think that's such a minor difference. It is huge. It's a huge difference. I don't believe one can lose their salvation, but I believe we better make sure that we truly are saved. And then once we know Christ, are we walking and living in a oneness with him? What did he pray in John 17? That they may be one as we are one to the Father. And we need to be lights. We have a purpose. We carry the light of Christ with us through, the, uh, through his spirit wherever we go in this world. Listen to this. We are to be so obvious with our light. It's to be so obvious, like a city that is set on a hill, which the world doesn't have to search for. They don't have to search for the city. And I can't see it. Where is it? Oh, it's right there in front of me because it's on the side of a hill, lit up for all to see. Do you get the illustration here? We as followers of Christ, our lives should be so on fire for Christ, it's just obvious. It does, they don't have to search to find the light. It's right before them. We are out in the open. We are wide open. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So how do we hide the lights. We cover it when we choose to focus on ourselves and not on his mission. When we have unrepentant sin in our lives, it veils that light in us as well. As foolish as it would be to hide a lamp, we do the same thing in this world, and then we blame those that have no light for falling in the darkness. Listen to me now. As foolish as it would be to hide a lamp, we do the same thing in this world and then we blame those that have no lights when they fall in the darkness. Instead of saying, maybe I'm supposed to be the light for them to see what's before them. Let's light up the darkness by allowing his spirit and the life of Christ, which we now are living, right? What did Paul say? My life is not my own, right? I'm dead. I've died in Christ. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, right? It's his life through us. So as we're doing that, we're purposely looking for opportunities to enlighten the eyes of those around us so that they will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. One last thought on this. Because it's easy to say, go be salt and go be light. It's easy to say that. But how do we do that? How do we act as salt and light? I truly believe that we share our faith when we have opportunity. We can only light up where we are right now. I want you to go to one more passage, Acts chapter 13. And I want to take kind of just the principle in this and look at just kind of a cool little part of this that jumped out to me when I was studying. Acts chapter 13, look at verse 15. We share when we have opportunity. Acts 13, 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto him unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Now I'm not going to read the whole passage here. 
But I want to take from this kind of a simple principle. Did Paul do anything really miraculous here? No, he made a choice to be available. And the opportunity arose, he took advantage of it. So here's the thing. You can only light up where you are right now. Sometimes we think we would be more effective sharing Christ if our situation was different or if we worked in a different field. The truth is God is not unaware of where you are, so he only expects you to be faithful where you are. Remember the, the, the parable of the talents? He didn't hold one servant responsible for this servant's actions with his talents. He only held him responsible for what he did with his talents. And the same thing. Don't think, sit there and think, oh, but if I could just be this or I could just do that, then I would be able to. No, no. God knows exactly where you are, and he only expects you to be faithful where you are. And as you're faithful where you are, that's when you'll begin to see God do great things in and through your life. But let me tell you this. If you feel a pull in your spirit for people, of other people groups, you feel a burden in your heart for the need to see the light of Christ somewhere else in the world, not just in your area of influence right now. You're a light right now. You just, you just shine your light and your salt right now where you are, but you begin praying about, God, I feel this call to go somewhere else. And so I'm going to be a light right now because this is where you have me, but I'm going to begin praying about and seeking after and striving towards maybe I need to be somewhere else tomorrow, a year from now, two years from now. Maybe I need to go to this people group somewhere in the world and share Christ there. So it's, I'm shining my light now, but it doesn't mean I only focus on now if God is leading me to go somewhere else. And I want to encourage you. Every individual in this room has for themselves say, am I feeling led to missions? Is God calling me to overseas missions? And you might say, well, we're all missionaries. We are all missionaries. Right where you are, you're a missionary. You're sharing Christ. But there is a great need for missionaries all over the world. And I've told you guys my story that I remember sitting at college for hours and hours and hours, week after week, during sophomore year uh, missions emphasis week, and just praying, God, would you have me to go to the mission field? God, what do you want from me? And I've been on missions trips, and I've told you guys, every single time I've been on the mission field, I've just found somewhere, and I sat down, and I just prayed, and said, okay, God, is this it? Am I supposed to go home? Am I supposed to send for Sandra and the kids, because this is where we're going to be? Like, I want to make sure, God, am I where you want me to be? And as of now, I believe that God has led me to say, no, I want you at North Goodland. And I'm thankful for that because right now where I am, that's where I'm going to shine my light, just like I would do 10 years from now if God doesn't change his mind. But tell you this, if five years from now God says go to Argentina as a missionary, I don't know any Spanish. I'll have to hang around with Brother Garcia. He'll take care of that, teach me how to make some tortillas. I'll get in the family groups that way, okay? But you better believe five years from now I'm on a train or a plane or something to get to Argentina, so understand this. We shine our light where we are, but we're always thinking, Lord, is there somewhere else to go that I need to go? Because there are people groups all over our world that need Christ. We start where we are, but God may be leading you to a different mission field, maybe local or global. The key is to follow his lead. You see, we must share right where we are, but we must share as the opportunity allows. Acts chapter 13, did Paul bust into the synagogue, tell the guy that was leading, hey, sit down, shut up, be quiet, I got something to say? Did he kick everyone out and say, oh, you religious leaders got to go. I need to talk to these people. I've got a message from God that's way more important than anything you got to say. No, he just sat there and waited patiently. 
And then when the guy says, the leader of the synagogue says, if anyone has a word to say, would you stand and say it and share it? And Paul stands and says, would you give me an audience? Would you listen to me? Did you hear the gentleness and the love in his voice? Would you just give me your attention for a few moments? I got a message for you. I'd love to share. And he just shared when the opportunity was aware. There are times in your day where you will be led to share the gospel of Christ with a coworker, but your time is limited or they are busy. I would encourage you not to just blow it off or to be a poor steward at work. Hear me now. If you're sharing Christ with a coworker, but you're keeping that coworker from doing their job, you are being a bad testimony. But I'm sharing the gospel, okay, but you're making them a bad steward because they're robbing from their employer, which is not Christ-like. So what do I do when I share Christ with a coworker, but I don't have the time? Here's what you say. Hey, can we grab coffee sometime? Hey, what are you doing for dinner Friday night? My family would love to have you over. You find a way to connect with them where they're going to still be able to do their job and you still share Christ, but you do it in a way that isn't going to rob them, make them a bad testimony. Don't let your desire for them to repent and trust Christ make you rush through sharing the gospel as well. You want to make sure that they understand exactly what the gospel is and is not. This means having conversations and being patient. And so, so in our desire, we're so quick to want to get somebody to say a prayer. We've not explained to them, have you counted the cost? Like, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Man, he loves you, and he's there for you, and his joy, and his peace, and his love. It's amazing. But there's some cost. Like, there's some things we have to realize here. This is a war. Like, you may lose family. You may lose friends. You may lose promotions. You may lose some things in this deal. Jesus said, your own family may hate you because of me. And I say that, you think, oh, but if I tell them that, they'll never get saved. But isn't that kind of the problem we find ourselves in now? We've ignored the fullness of the gospel, what it really looks like, and we've found people wandering into these situations and going, you lied to me. You never told me it was going to be like this. And we've got to be so careful to make sure we share the fullness of the gospel. And by the way, it's all worth it. What does Jesus say about a man who found a treasure buried in a field? Remember this story in the gospels? Man found a treasure in the field, opened it up and said, man, this is worth more than everything I own. Closed it up, buried it back up, and said, I'll be back. Goes home, sells everything he has. Just selling everything he has. And people are like, you're nuts. Like, what are you doing? You're selling everything. He goes, I'm going to buy that field over there. And the Bible says he did it with gladness. So he's like smiling at him like, you're going to buy that field. You're giving up all of this for that field. You're crazy. And the guy almost like lovingly says, well, I've got an idea. There's a, I got a hunch that there's something there. You see, we see it as foolishness, but he said, I'll gladly give all this up because I know what's in that field is worth way more than what I have. Do you know what the treasure is that he found an illustration for? The gospel. Do you know what he's saying? Man, I'll give up everything if I can have this treasure because this gospel is worth way more than I have. It doesn't even compare. And the world's going to think you're foolish. Why would you give that up for this? Because you understand, oh, no, no, but it's so valuable. So you might say, well, I don't want to scare people off. No, no, you tell them there's a cost, but you tell them it's worth it. You tell them it's worth it. I want to encourage us this morning. We have been given a purpose in this world to share the grace and love of God with all those in need. My prayer for the last five weeks is that we have discovered our love for one another, the church, and that it's evidenced in many ways. How we treat one another, how we serve one another, how generous we are to one another, how willing we are to share the love that we have with this world. 
So let me ask you in closing before we pray. Are you living your purpose? Are you living your purpose? Are you the salt that you need to be? I mean, you look the part, you sound the part, you go to church, but are you really salt? Are you following Christ? Are you a light that is veiled? You are watching others stumble in the dark and refuse to let your light shine. Let the gospel light shine because it will mean standing out from the rest. But if I let my light shine, they'll identify me. They'll know that I'm one of them, one of these Christians. Man, let me tell you something. It should be so obvious. Because here's the thing. When somebody's stumbling in the dark, the first thing they look, they look for is a light. And it should be so obvious to your coworkers, your family members, and your friends that they know, man, I don't agree with everything this person has said. I don't even know if I believe everything this person said. But I need to talk to them because they have this light in them. And they may not use that term, but that's what they mean. And it just seems like they just have this peace. Even in chaos and trial and struggle, they're at peace. See, they're looking that light. They don't know what they're looking for. Their eyes are veiled by the enemy. But man, it should be so obvious that when they do turn to you, you can say, let me just tell you about how Christ has loved me and saved me. And you share your faith. You give them the news of the gospel and you watch God do great things. Would you bow your heads with a word in a word of prayer with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just begin to pray there where you are and the band's going to come and just play a song of invitation for us. And as they come, I just pray that you would just seek him this morning. Just seek his filling this morning, his understanding and his wisdom. As I said before, there'll be some in the front here that would love to pray with you. If you want to pray for any reason, if there's anything that God is laying on your heart, if you don't know him as your Savior and you want to come and just talk to somebody about what that looks like, maybe you would do that this morning. Maybe you know that you know Christ, but you're not living in that purpose. You're not living in that, that calling. Maybe you'd come and pray with someone and say, would you just pray for me that I would surrender and follow? Father, we ask that you would do all that you can do. That you would lead, guide, and direct in all things. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you every moment. And I pray that we would go from this place, Lord, desiring to be salt and light. Desiring to make a difference. Not for us, but for you. And Lord, thank you for the blessing of giving us your gospel. Lord, you say in your word that, that we are just earthen vessels, clay pots. And that inside of us, there is a great treasure and we get to share that with others. And so, Lord, I pray that in all those things, you be glorified. Help us, Lord, to be honest before you. Speak now, Lord, to anyone that needs to hear. And I pray, Lord, that those that have an ear will hear what you have to say. Draw those that need salvation. May they understand the fullness of your love for them you died for them and, and died for their sins were buried and rose again and they can find forgiveness of sins and a path to eternal life to walk with you Lord yeah there's things that happen in our life trials and circumstances but we go through it with you and you give us the grace and the strength to endure we thank you Lord for all of this and we ask this in Jesus name
Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? This morning, we're not going to be doing any singing. Um, as these guys just play instrumentally behind us, I pray that you would just begin to pray right the way we are. Continue to pray. Seek this morning. If you want to come and pray, we've got men and ladies down front here. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to come and bow a knee and just say, Lord, would you speak to me? Just show me what you have for me. Thank you for calling me to be salt and light. Whatever God is doing, would you respond? Whether they're in your seats or whether you want to come and pray, would you just answer what he's calling you to do today?